Well, good morning, Northwest. I'm excited, really excited about the opportunity to preach God's word. I don't get to preach a lot, so, you know, this is my chance. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm just on fire. Now, if you are not on fire, that's between you and the Lord, okay? But I'm excited, and uh, this is an amen service and an amen sermon. If you don't say it, I'm going to say it. Amen? Well, before I get started, let me thank uh, Pastor Rob also for the opportunity to share today. It is no small thing to stand in the place that the man of God stands every week, and I don't take that lightly, so I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, The pastor asked me to remind the church and inform some of you that a funeral service for Dr. Reagan Bradford Sr., who passed away two Saturdays ago, it will be this Thursday, June 29th, at 2 p.m. here in this uh, auditorium. It'll be live streamed for those who are watching uh, on live stream, so you can join in also. Uh, Dr. Bradford was a faithful servant leader here at Northwest for over 60 years, 60 years of service faithfully here at the church. He also led the team that started Community Advance, uh, the faith-based nonprofit that we hear, we have here at the church. And uh, Dr. Bradford is the only president that the organization has had since 2009. He was actually my boss. And so on a personal level, uh, he was a friend and a mentor. And I know you will agree with me that he will be greatly missed. So if you can, we want to fill this room on uh, Thursday just to let Miss Connie know how much we love her and her family. So you'll be praying for his wife and his children and his extended family. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the great and sufficient salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Great and sufficient salvation. I have several nephews and nieces. Matter of fact, I'm one of 15 kids, so I have a whole lot of nieces and nephews. Some of them I wouldn't know if they walked in today. But I know Ethan. Ethan is my great nephew. This is a picture of Ethan right here. Uh, Ethan uh, started asking questions about salvation when he was about seven. And he wanted to get baptized. Of course, we wouldn't allow him to get baptized because we knew that was a thing that had to come first. So by January of this year, Ethan understood a clear presentation of the gospel And he gave his life to Christ. He was nine years old. He's 10 now. And uh, Ethan is a new believer. And so I had this agreement with Ethan. I said, Ethan, if you have any questions about the Christian life, about how to live for Christ, about your salvation, call me. Text me. There are no dumb questions, okay? Any question you have, Uncle Alan would do his best to come up with uh, an answer. So I waited and waited. March 26th, 
you know, uh, Ethan gave his life to Christ in January. And so I got the first question in March. And uh, I was getting kind of nervous, but I'm glad that I got a question from Ethan. It's a great question. I think every believer probably has asked this question before. And I quote it. This is Ethan's question. He said, and I quote, I have a question, Uncle Alan. If I sin a sin and I'm saved, will I still be saved? Unquote. That's Ethan's question. Isn't that a great question? Have you ever struggled with that question as a new believer? I remember struggling with that question as a new believer. After I'm saved, if I sin, am I still saved? Matter of fact, I went to a local pastor about six months after I was saved. I asked him that question, and he couldn't answer. I said, oh, no, I'm in trouble. (laughs) And so I set out on a quest to find the answer to this, this question, and questions like this. If I sin a sin, Ethan said, and I'm saved, will I still be saved? Great question. So I'm going to rephrase Ethan's question a little bit and so we can encapsulate it and understand it. What Ethan is saying is, Uncle Alan, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose it? Once I have it, can I lose it? Another way of saying it, and this is what I asked that pastor, if I lose it, how do I get it back? You didn't ask that question? I did. I see one other person ask that question. Appreciate that. Then another way you might say it is, is my salvation in Christ secure? Is staying saved dependent upon how well I behave? Do I have to behave perfectly? Do I have to behave well in order to stay saved once I am saved? That is Ethan's question. Uncle Alan, if I sin a sin while I'm saved, will I still be saved? Great question, Ethan. And so I I took time to answer Ethan's question. Glory to God. Now, Ethan is a very smart little boy, 10 years old. We find Ethan now in this room reading his Bible and listening to Christian music. 10-year-olds don't do that unless they know the Lord. And we're not making Ethan do that. The next question Ethan asked me, okay, Alan, what is a mortal sin? I said, oh, Ethan, what are you reading? (laughs) So we didn't have to talk about mortal sin. But that tells me that Ethan is curious about his walk with Christ. Okay? And every believer, I think, is equally serious. So, question, how would you answer Ethan's question? Would you have an answer? As a believer, what would you say? This is exactly what John was dealing with in the book of 1 John. False teachers were attacking the church, this new thing called the church that that John uh, was leading, and he writes to this church. And these people are questioning the efficacy of Jesus Christ to save you and to keep you safe. Is trusting Jesus Christ sufficient for salvation and for staying safe? They were being questioned. A lot of different groups were trying to come into this thing called the church. The Gnostics were saying that Jesus couldn't be God because God would not come in a fleshly body because matter is evil 
and God would not enter matter. So they said he couldn't be God. He was dealing with that. Uh, Sarithism was saying that Jesus and the Christ were two different people. So there was no God's man. You had God and you had man. The Bible teaches that they were combined together and he was the God's man. But Sarithism was teaching something different. Docetism or docetics was saying that, that God or Christ only appeared to be a man. It wasn't really God. He just appeared that way. It was an optical illusion. God played a David Copperfield on the people. It wasn't really him. So these are the things that John was dealing with. Was he really God in the flesh? Was he God in a body? Was he divinity incarnate? Did he die on the cross? Was it the God-man that died on the cross? Did he really shed blood? That's what the docetic said. It wasn't real blood. When they pierced him in his side, was it real water and blood that came out? When they put the thorn and the crown on his head, was that real blood that passed there? When he entered the Holy of Holy, did he shed in real blood? Was it blood? That was the question that they were asking so John responds in 1 John chapter 1 to this one, was he really God? Look at what it says. This is beautiful. When you understand the context, you understand why John wrote this. He said, wait a minute. He was God. He says, verse 1, chapter 1 in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, we heard him. He was real. We have seen him. <laughs> and not only did we see him, but our eyes, with our eyes, we have looked upon him. In other words, we gazed upon him. We beheld him. And our hands have handled him. Concerning what? The word of life. This life was manifest. And we bear witness and declare to you that what? He was what? Eternal life in the flesh. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy might be full. John said, wait a minute, he was God in the flesh. He did die on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. The blood was real. The sweat was real. We touched him. We handled him. Can you imagine the disciples? I'd have been, I'd been like, man, I'd be like, <laughs> every day I'd be looking at him. This is God walking among us. And so John clarifies. Immediately following this heresy about the person of Jesus Christ, if you get off on God, you will be off on everything else in your life. I'm just going to tell you. Every other system that you come up with will be off because you're off on God. And so the next thing that follows when they got off on the person of Christ, they were off on the work of Christ. Was he sufficient to save and is he sufficient to keep me safe is he enough and that is the essence of Ethan's question Uncle Alan if I sin sin while I'm saved will I still be saved John answered that question this is the passage we're going to look at this morning if you stand with me we'll look at 1st John chapter 5 we're going to look at three verses Tell you what, when I discovered these verses, changed my life. Changed my life forever. John writes in verse 11. 
This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. You might add the word eternal life. He who does not have the son does not have the life or the eternal life. These things I have written to you that believe on the name of the son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. You can know, you can know, you can know, you can know that you have eternal life and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. You may be seated. So that's John's response to the heresy. So basically what John says with regard to eternal life, either you have it or you don't. You see that there? Uh, Either you have Christ or you don't. It's in Christ Right, these things that it is in Christ, if you have it or you don't. And so basically, I'm gonna, he answered the question for us, and I'm going to take the long route, okay? Because the pastor would want me to preach longer. <laughs> so basically, what John says is that I'm going to answer the question, and I'm going to tell you why. That we cannot lose our salvation. Getting saved, as well as staying saved, is not dependent upon how well you behave. It is not dependent upon how well we behave. How well or not well I behave has nothing to do with getting saved. It has absolutely nothing to do with staying saved. That is it. This is the testimony that God gives us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. It's just that clear. There's nothing in there about how you behave. So the first thing I think is important for us to understand is uh, why. Let me answer the question. Why behavior does not matter with getting saved or staying saved? Number one, because salvation or getting saved is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Salvation, becoming a child of God, being born again, it's in Jesus Christ and him alone. And he used to say back in the 80s, plus nothing and what? Minus nothing. Just through Jesus Christ. So salvation is not, never will be dependent upon how well one behaves. Why? Because you could never behave well enough to get saved. No one can or has ever behaved well enough to get saved. Jesus didn't have to get saved, okay? <laughs> if he, he behaved well enough, he was perfect, but he didn't have to get saved. No one else has ever been born. Well, how do you know? Well, let's walk through the, the plan of salvation real quick. This is what the Word of God says about getting saved. First of all, it says that all of us are sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. God is holy. He is righteous. And for us to have a right relationship with him, we must be holy. We must be righteous. And he says, we all miss the mark. We don't measure up, no matter what we do. David said in Psalm 51.5, we were born sinners. He said, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Did you know that you don't have to sin to become a sinner? You were born a sinner. 
like a cat. A cat doesn't go meow to become a cat. It meows because it what? Is a cat. The dog doesn't bark to become the dog. It barks because he is. That's just part of his nature. Sinners don't sin to become sinners. They sin because they, they're sinners. And what do sinners do? They sin. Here we go. Amen. They, amen. All the sinners sin. <laughs> That's what they do. So what? Well, so what is that? Romans uh, 6.23 says there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. We were born because of sin in spiritual death. Unbelievers are spiritually dead. And then we see the results of sin in that men die physically. The death rate is 100%. And if Jesus comes, all of us are going to get some. Okay? And then there's eternal death. That's what he's talking about here. The penalty for sin is death. So the question is, what do we do? The Bible says, there's nothing you can do to pay that penalty. But you owe it. And it must be paid. There's nothing I can do to pay the penalty, but I owe it because I'm a sinner and it must be paid. And God does not play favorite. God doesn't say, Mr. McConnell, you come to heaven and Alan, you go to hell. He's just as much a sinner as I am and, and both of us are required to pay that penalty. God doesn't pay, pay favorites. We say, well, isn't God love? Is he going to let everybody come to heaven? Yeah, God is love, but you forgot that God is also just. And God must be loving and just at the same time. Justice says the penalty must be paid. And the scripture says there's nothing I can do to pay it. Romans 3.12 says that I can't be good enough to pay it. There is none good. No, not one. If you're trying to be good enough to satisfy God, you can't do it. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says I can't do right enough to satisfy God. There is none righteous no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Why? Because everything that I do is contaminated by my nature. Even the right things I do as a sinner are done with the wrong motives because I am a sinner. You see? All of my righteousnesses. I told you all about my grandmother years ago, Emma Carter. I never saw the woman do anything wrong. Never heard her say anything wrong. He was a godly woman. But just based upon that, she would not make it to heaven. No matter how good she was, she wasn't good enough to satisfy God. Then the Bible says you can't work enough to get to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of work. So no man can boast. Helping old ladies cross the street. Visiting the sick. Feeding the hungry, getting baptized, preaching, singing in the choir, all of that stuff is work. God said none of that gets you saved because the penalty for sin is death. It's not preaching. God said, why should I let you in? I preach. No, you can't come. (laughs) The penalty is death. Then Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that you who were dead, he's made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And that's what I was talking about. We were born spiritually dead. Let me ask you a question. What can a dead man do for himself? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So that's the condition we're in. 
Can't be good enough, can't do right enough, can't do enough work, and we're spiritually dead. Nothing we can do. We're totally helpless. So how do I know God loves me? The only way I know God loves me is that God chooses to do something to help me. Justice says the penalty must be paid. Love says I'm going to pay it. Justice gets satisfied. Love gets satisfied. God is both loving and just at the same time. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were yet without strength, without power or helpless, remember, without strength, can't be good, can't do right, can't do work, really dead. In this condition, Christ died for the ungodly, you and me. What was the penalty? Death. What did Christ do? He died. And who did he do it for? For us. Amen. Glory. Yes. Woo. Hey, that shouting stuff there, brother. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 said that God demonstrated his love. Listen, the only way that I know that God loves me is that when I could not help myself, he did something to help me. He chose the very best for me, for me to be like him. And the only way that he could do that was he had to die on Calvary's cross to pay for my sin. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is why Jesus Christ alone is the only way for someone to get saved. It's because he paid the price. No one else paid the price. So Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Why, Jesus? Because I paid the price. I'm the only way you can get in. I'm your ticket in. Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And then Paul finishes Romans 6, 23. He said the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Alan doing the best he can. No, the gift of God is eternal life to who? To Jesus, to Jesus Christ. Listen, every time you look through Scripture and talk about salvation, it's always through Jesus. It's never through anything else. So we see here that salvation is a gift. It's not something that we earn and sinners cannot save themselves. That is exactly what John says in our passage. This is the testimony that God has what? Given us. Don't pass over that word eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of God does not have life okay so you say Alan alright I'm saved you got me through the door I'm glad I'm here alright so what does the scripture say there in that passage about staying saved because that's Ethan's question okay Alan if I'm saved and I lose my salvation if I sin a sin while I'm saved, will I still be saved? Well, the answer is there in our passage, and I don't want you to skip over it. In, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, it says, number two, second point is that the salvation that God gives is everlasting. 
It's an everlasting salvation. This is an eternal salvation. This is the testimony that God has given us. What kind of life? Eternal. Don't be afraid to say it. Say it with me. That God has given us eternal life. Now, let me ask you a question. How long is eternity? That's what the other people say when I ask them. Same answer. <laughs> forever. How long is forever? We either can't come up with another word, can you? <laughs> That's what the other people say. Well, how long is everlasting? Forever. So, would you all agree that it can't stop? Right? Everlasting, uh, forever, uh, eternal means nonstop. Can we agree? If you, if you agree, say amen. amen. Say it again. Amen. That's what they do it in the black church. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Amen. We're in, a, we're in a new church now, y'all. <laughs> so what it says is that if my salvation never stop, God would be lying. So the next question is, can God lie? And my question is, is how do you know? When I'm teaching, people give an answer. The next question is, how do you know? And so you ask me, well, well, how do you know? Okay. I know that God cannot lie because he says it in his word. Well, why does he say that? Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life in which God that cannot lie, promise before the world begins. The very thing that we're talking about, he said, God doesn't lie about that. In hope of eternal life, in which God that cannot lie. Uh, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man, he's not a sinner like us, that he should lie. God doesn't lie. I like Hebrews 6, 18, that by two unchangeable things are two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. Well, how you know? The word of God says it. And I'm standing on his word. The whole credibility of God is placed in this book, the word. All scripture is God-breathed. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished under every good work. The psalmist says, forever, O Lord, your word is established in the heavens. John says, uh, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is what? Truth. Jesus said, you know, heaven and earth will pass away before the smallest jot or tittle in the word of God should pass away. Because <laughs> God said it. Listen, if God should lie one time in the word, we throw the whole book away. We turn these pews in the bar stools, let's have a party. For the day we live and tomorrow we die, let's live it up. But if the word of God is true, heaven is real, so is hell. And God has requirements for getting into heaven. So how do I know? Because God cannot lie. So God said that if I put my trust in Jesus Christ, he gives me eternal life. And there, listen. There are no exception clauses. I give you eternal life except if you. There are no if you's. 
You know, I hear people saying, Jesus paid it all, all to him. My old sin has left the crimson stain. He was the white as snow. And I will lay it in, but I ain't going to let you keep me out of heaven because if I do this and I do this, what are you talking about? That's speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Either he paid it all or he didn't. The scripture says he paid it all. There are no but if used. So, three times in one verse, he tells us that we cannot lose our salvation. In John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them, verse 28, eternal life. He could stop right there. How long is eternity? Forever. If it ever stopped, God would be lying, right? Can he lie? How do you know? Well, Titus chapter 1, verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life, and with God that cannot lie, promise before the world began. Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6, 18 says that, that by two unchangeable things, it's impossible for God to lie. So he could stop right there. But he doesn't stop right there. The next thing he says, and they shall never perish. Never means it can't happen, Right? You cannot lose your salvation. You'll never become spiritually dead once you are spiritually alive. Never, 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 never. If never turned to ever, then God is lying, right? Can he lie? How do you know? Well, Titus chapter 1, right? <laughs> Verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, it was God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. And then we have it in Numbers chapter 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6, 18, that by two unchangeable things, it is impossible for God to lie. So twice he has told me, I cannot lose my salvation. And then he says, Neither shall anyone pluck him out of my hand. But neither turn to either, then God is lying. Can he lie? How do you know? <laughs> Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, with God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6, 18. In hope, I mean, that by two unchangeable things in which it was impossible to God to lie. Listen, I memorized these scriptures so that I could fight the devil because the devil was beating me up. Every time I did something, the devil was telling me I wasn't saved. And so I had to go back and back. Well, the word of God said that God has given me eternal life. This life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, I have Jesus, then I have life, then devil, you're lying. I mean, I went through this over and over and over again. Take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and that's how you fight the enemy. Now I'll get behind me, devil, and I'll take the sword of the Spirit. The pastor talked about that when, when, when Jesus was led up into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. What did Jesus use to, to respond? He used what? Jesus could have made up anything he wanted. But he used everything that he tells us to use, the Word of God. And so Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And so I've been taking the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And every time the devil hits me, I hit him back <laughs> with the word of God. And you know what? The word of God don't miss. <laughs> it don't miss. It hits the target. I didn't plan to say that. Back to the subject. 
Three times in one verse he says, I can't lose my salvation. And then look, he says, my father who gave them to me is greater than all. No one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I, my father, are one. You know what? When it comes to salvation, I'm so glad that I'm not the one holding on to God. I'm so glad that he's holding on to me. I'm in his hand. But back to our passage, I cannot lose my salvation. This is the testimony. God gives us eternal life. His life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. We're going to finish on time. But I've got a couple more things I need to say. Remember, I don't get to preach a lot, so I've got to say some stuff. <laughs> Listen, I have eternal life. It is not because I've been good. My salvation is secure. It's not because I'll behave acceptably or perfectly. It's because I have Jesus Christ. I'm alone. I want you to think for a minute very quickly. The passages of the scriptures. Did I go out? Do you hear me? Good. Think of the passages of scripture and the doctrines that would have to go away if I could lose my salvation. We have to rip the Bible apart. Let's just start with John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish. Well, if they did perish, I could lose my salvation. Throw that one away. But have everlasting life. What if I could lose my salvation? I don't have everlasting life. Rip out John 3.16. Can't stay. What about John 6.24? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him and sent me has eternal life. Well, if I can lose it, then it ain't eternal because it stopped, right? And we said eternal means it can't stop. Well, if it stops, then God is lying. Can he lie? I'm not going to ask you how you know. <laughs> but I think you do. You shall not come into judgment. If I lose my salvation, I'm being judged. Pass from death to life. It's eternal life. Take that one away. John 10, 28. We just went through that one. John 11. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me uh, shall live, even if he dies. That's physical death. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's eternal, that's eternal death. You'll never experience eternal death because we believe in Jesus. Well, that one won't work. Take that one away. How about Romans 5, 1? Therefore, being justified. Justification means that I have been declared right in the sight of God, based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If I can lose my salvation, throw away justification. Justification means that I'm declared right at this point, and the declaration of my righteousness continues throughout eternity, because it's not dependent upon me, it's dependent upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What about Romans chapter 8, verse 1? There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. What if I lose my salvation? We have to throw that one away because I got condemned again. What about Romans 8, 38 and 39? Nothing shall separate me from the love of God, nothing life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, anything present, nothing future, nothing high, nothing low. And then he said, nor any other creature. Are you a creature? Well, he said, nor any other creature, that's talking about me, uh, can separate themselves from the love of God. Throw that one away. Well, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says that God delivered me from the power of darkness and transferred me into his kingdom of his dear son. Well, some kind of way I got out because of my behavior. Throw that one away. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10 said, 
For in him that is Jesus, all the fullness of deity, the pleroma dwells in the body, and I am complete in him. Well, evidently not if I could lose my salvation. Rip that one out. Ephesians 1.13 says, After you heard the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Well, something happened to my seal if I lost my salvation. He said he sealed me uh, in Ephesians 4.30 until the day of redemption. He said that it is a down payment. It is the earnest money. When we buy, for instance, you buy a house, you put down earnest money. If you don't follow through with this transaction, then you forfeit your money. You don't get it back. So what that means is that God says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit as a down payment to say that you're going to get to heaven. Okay? All of us are going to get the basic package. Okay? And the basic package is you get to heaven. All right? Now, you may have different duties when you get there, but everybody's going to get there. You may have a tiny house, but you're going to get there. All right? (laughs) You're going, you're going to get to heaven. Now, if God does not get me to heaven, he forfeits himself. Can God forfeit himself? Well, Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began the good work in me will complete it to the day that Christ comes. Hebrews said that in the Old Testament they killed goats and bulls and they brought blood and they sacrificed and the high priest went into the holy of holy once a year to make sacrifice for himself and for the people and there was no chair in there because his work was never done he went over and over and over again but Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10 said that when Jesus Christ entered into the spiritual holy of holy with one drop of blood he shed his blood and he sat down signifying what the work is done if I could lose my salvation, Jesus needed to get up. He gets up. Isaiah 53 says that God will look upon the travail of his son and he's going to be satisfied. God is satisfied with Jesus. If I can lose my salvation, we'd have to get rid of a large portion of scripture and a whole lot of different doctrines. John said that I cannot lose my salvation. My last point is that I know that I know that I know that I know that if I die today, I go to heaven because the word of God says that I can know it. These things I write to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, verse 13, that you might what? Know. Man, that liberated me. You mean I can know? You can know? You can know? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I know, and I was too. I'm ready now, devil. (laughs) We can fight now. I know that I know that I know that I know Listen, if I died right now, I'm going to heaven. And it ain't because I've been good. It ain't because I've been all right. So the last question that I think Ethan was asking, but he didn't say, does behavior matter? Does how I behave matter? Well, of course it does. But you have to look at it this way. I don't behave to get saved and stay saved. I behave differently because I am saved. Because I am saved, I behave differently because Christ 
lives in me. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am different because Christ lives in me. Philippians 2.13 says that God is the one that's working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Second Peter 1.4 says that I am a partaker of the divine nature. Romans 6.14 says that sin no longer has dominion and control over me because I have a new nature. Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me. Therefore I can I can accomplish what, what God calls me to do in 1 Peter 4. He says, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 16, he says, Be holy, because I am holy, not in my own power. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Listen, everybody that comes to Jesus changes. No one comes to Christ and does not change. If you state that you came to the biblical Jesus and you did not change, you did not come to the, to the Jesus of the Bible. Because you're a sinner. All of us change. But we don't change to get saved. We don't change to get to stay saved. We change because we are saved. So what did we change? First of all, I repented. What does repent mean? I changed my mind. I changed my mind about myself. I'm not as good as I think I was. I'm a sinner. I changed my mind about the Savior. Jesus was real. He was God in the flesh. He did live. He did die. And he died for me. And he rose again. I changed my mind about the plan of salvation. It's God's plan. I don't get to make up my own. Jesus is the way and he's the only way. I changed my mind about sin. Sin is bad and I don't want to do it because God changed my wanna. I don't want to anymore. I changed my mind about the sovereignty of God. There are consequences for sin in the life of the believer. But loss of salvation can never be one of them. Because Jesus paid for that on Calvary. And when we say that we can lose our salvation, what we're saying, Jesus, if what you did was not enough. Why not enough? I guarantee you, if what Jesus did at Calvary was not enough, we ain't going to make it. So John clarifies this for us. As I close in John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. Alan is not sinless. We confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. I'm not sinless, but I should be sinning less. The confession of sin is not for the restoration of a relationship. The relationship is that I'm a child of God that came to me by birth and adoption. But it affects my fellowship with God. When I sin, my fellowship is broken. I confess my sin and my fellowship is restored. If it had to do with my relationship, it'd be like I'm, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth over the fires of hell. I sin, I'm out. Oh, no, I need to pray. I'm back in. Oh, I sin, I'm out. Oh, no, I need to pray. I'm back in. I mean, listen, I just say, okay, God, get me to the place where I ain't got no sin. Let me go to sleep. Don't wake me up. Just let me die. What if I have a bad thought, you know, and I don't get to pray? Oh, no, I didn't make it. Oh, no. Who wants a salvation like that? God has given us a great salvation, and it is sufficient. 
And so he wraps it up. He says in chapter 1, My little children, these things I write unto you so that you may not sin. In other words, he said, don't sin. You don't have to. The Spirit lives in you. But if anyone does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what is he saying there? Let's say I sin. The word advocate means representative to God, satisfaction for God. And the devil goes to God and says, Alan, he's sin. He, he, should, he ain't saved. And so what does God father's, the father do? He looks over to the son. He says, okay, son, did Alan lie? And Jesus turned to the father and said, yes, father, Alan lied. But I paid for that. Every time. I paid for, I paid for that. Did he steal? Yes, Father. Did he murder? Yes, Father. Was he an adulterer? Yes, Father. But I paid for it. Jesus paid it all. A working team is going to come. All to him we owe. Sin has left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So back to Ethan's question. Uncle Alan, if I make a sin, if I sin a sin while I'm saved, will I still be saved? Yes, Ethan, you will still be saved. Because salvation is not dependent upon how well you behave. It's totally dependent upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way that you won't make it is if Jesus goes rogue. <laughs> Jesus ain't going rogue. <laughs> Would you stand with me, please?